0: Hello, my name's John Schaefer, and welcome to the Wealth Show from CityWire. I'm here today with Peter Doherty, manager of the SAMLAN Hybrid Capital Bond Fund. Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. Pleasure. Good stuff. Well, today we're talking about contingent convertible bonds. Peter, maybe you could tell us what COCOs exactly are and maybe the common misconceptions about these bonds.
1: Yeah, well, thanks very much, John. Um look, yeah, there's a couple of things to to bear in mind. One is that the uh, sort of across the, the global financial crisis, uh, sort of 07 to 09, um, the regulators and the sort of the, the powers that be realized that many of the instruments that were uh, issued by banks and insurance companies, but you know particularly banks uh, that were called capital, um, uh, really couldn't uh, be written down or couldn't absorb losses uh, when, when needed. And so... Um, that was kind of a flaw in the system. So that that ended up, uh, obviously, then you, you kind of have this phrase where you had the, the privatization of profits and the socialization of losses. And so uh, you know, people put their heads together and kind of decided to come up with a new form of instrument uh, called the, 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 the COCO for short, uh, contingent convertible. Um, and that's really part of a sort of wider stack of hybrid capital if you like and we'll we'll talk about hybrids in a second Mm. um but that's what's called loss absorbing capital so it's 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 not common equity or ordinary shares as common equity um but it's something a little bit um different it's in bond format it pays interest um and um and so you're really it's a it's a sort of the riskiest form of debt uh in in a bank that that's the way to think about it
0: so you know fundamentally it's a way of banks to increase their capital buffers um, and it's a type of debt that pays higher interest rates but you're not paid out um, in the same way as if you were to hold a sort of standard bond in a bank.
1: That's right yeah so if you think about uh, uh, I mean it's not too technical but you think about a capital structure so at the top or at the very top you've got obviously um, things like uh, members of a company pension scheme. And if you're an employee of Barclays, you might be a member of the pension scheme. Then you've got uh, depositors. Um, then you've got senior debt. And that's all kind of at the top. There, are the people who who come first in the event of liquidation, if there's a problem with the, with the company. Um, yep. At the bottom, obviously, you've got shareholders. And then in the middle, you've got this stack of stuff called hybrid capital, um, of which Coco is the sort of most junior or, or riskiest. and I mean the way to think about that is that you and it, it does apply to some recent events of course is you, you're taking the view that this company is going to remain solvent, remain in business. Um, in the event of things going wrong, you've got a, a, a much higher chance of getting written down to zero or you're getting it takes some losses and in exchange for that uh, that risk of, of having a problem in liquidation, or in takeover and under bad circumstances, um, you end up um, getting paid more along the way. So you get sure. a much higher interest of interest uh, along the way.
0: Now, now obviously, in, in this situation, um, there was a problem. The Credit Suisse cocos were, were written down. We're talking $17 billion here. The Swiss regulator allowed this to happen. Um, y- y- you know, the, the crux of it is, is that the equity Holders were paid something, at least maybe a lot less than the market cap before that weekend. Um, But do you think that set a bit of a dangerous precedent in this market?
1: Yeah, look, I think there's a few differences uh, and and then some similarities between uh, the sort of wider cocoa market and the specific Swiss and and then the the very specific credit squeeze situation. So, a couple of things to to bear in mind. Um, The credit squeeze is outstanding. Was a, between five and six percent of the market, so it's quite a high percentage. Hmm. So if you're an index fund or an ETF or something like that, you you will have owned that. Um, and of course, as a name and, and, a, and a and a country where uh, you know r- rule of law and sort of uh, banking professionalism is very high and, and very well thought of, um, you know the idea that Credit Suisse would be um, uh, you know taken over in sort of a, a potential collapse and and then have Coco's written down to zero. That is all a bit of a shock to people. But on the other hand, if you actually look at the documentation, um, the this this point of non-viability, this PONV mm. clause, meant that at the point that um, the uh, the regulators deemed that Credit Suisse was was no longer viable in its then form, then then there was the option to write down the securities to zero. Now, yeah. you know, I, I think it, you know behind your question, which is a good one, is really. Is that sensible in a world where equity holders uh, get paid something and retain some upside, albeit small?
0: If equity holders had been given zilch, then I don't think there would be a case. I don't think you'd have lawyers sort of um, chasing this. But because they have been given something, that there's surely a case here.
1: Well, yeah, you know, yes and no. I think I think that's right. I, th- I think look, I think there's two things going on. Imagine a world where the uh, the, 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 the Credit Suisse Cocos had um, uh, been converted to equity and, the, and been treated the same as equity. I think this question wouldn't be uh, around. And mm-hmm. It probably would be a sort of, a, well, that was very tough for everybody kind of discussion. Um, and actually, the difference in value for UBS and for everybody else in that scenario, in, you know, in relative terms, is small. That might have been a 20 or 25% recovery on those bonds as opposed to zero, but that would have made a big difference. So uh, the other thing I would say on a kind of you know, sort of high-level basis is there aren't that many of these events, and you only really find out what's in the real detail, you know, when someone goes through it. And I, I would say that, you know, you, you know, kind of behind your question again, most people would say that it is reasonable for... Um, for sort of cocoa holders to get treated no worse than equity. I mean, that that, that wasn't mm-hmm. actually in the Credit Suisse docs. There was this option to do what's happened. I mean, and, and if people don't agree with that, they can go through the, the process um, with the authorities and that there probably will be some legal challenges or, or at least a certain review of what happened. Um, but I think on, on, a, on a forward-looking basis, um, it would make sense for, um, for the securities to kind of make you no worse off in liquidation than an equity holder, yeah. um, can, can I just go into what was yeah. what? There's one more of them. There's, there's so many variations on the securities, and it's partly one of the the um, the joys and challenges of the market. But there's another way to look at uh, some of these instruments, and some have a a write down and write up mechanism, and, and some are, are just written down. So so what what can happen is that um, an an equity a share can still be. Uh, Trading and the business can still be quoted, um, but a this loss-absorbing mechanism can kick in, kind of in the meantime while the institution is still viable. So, I think there's a view that yes, there is a capital structure, but but some of the features of the instruments are unusual in that you can end up with a situation where where you get written down um, and 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 an equity holder. I mean, at the time you get written down, the equity will be depressed, but the equity holder can also then participate back in. So, I think it it will it will potentially lead to some uh, some documentation changes or some mm. some thought process about how these are structured. But again, I want to uh, just uh, while I'm while I'm while I've got the mic, I just want to say I think the the overall uh, view you know you know my my overall view is that the 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 takeover of Credit Suisse and that sort of operation over a weekend was an incredibly difficult situation that was well handled. And I think there are, obviously, people are going to be unhappy and, and people will have to make some challenges possibly through the courts. But the idea that um, we'd be better off if somehow there'd been a, an extended, dragged out process or hadn't been resolved over the weekend, you know, I think that is flawed. And I think the, regula- the, the regulators and the authorities did a very good job of taking decisive action to prevent what would be a massive global contagion.
0: Sure. That being said, um, it, it still seems like these products are a bit marred by this event. I mean, you, you've got the Invesco 81 ETF that's still down 13% over a month. Now, obviously, a large portion of that will be the Credit Suisse bonds themselves. As you've alluded to, they're a pretty significant amount of the market. But um, are you a bit concerned that it hasn't bounced back yet?
1: Yeah, look, I think there's, there's, a, there's a few things. Um I mean, I, I would say personally that being an active manager with a smaller amount of money under management has allowed, you know, me and others—not not just me, but you know, many people—to avoid credit Suisse as a holding either altogether, in my case, and some others that I know, or, or it's been very much an underweight security. Mm. So, you know, I think if you're a large investor and you you need to buy securities to kind of use up your 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 investment from your uh, from your, from your from your clients, you know that is a, potentially a problem. I mean, there is a there's a obviously a phrase in the banking market which is too big to fail, and I think in some of the fund managers who've got more capital than they can handle, I I, I, I it's a bit of a joke, but I say they're almost too big to succeed because sure. they they're going to just end up owning the market, and your your ability to 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 differentiate yourself in that world is pretty tough. So. So that's one thing There's kind of the, the size of the people you're investing with is important if you're just going to go for an index type approach. But the second thing is, um, yeah, it is a tough period for the market in the sense that um, uh, you've been promised that banks are investable again, that it's a sector which has some good returns. And then this is a, a sort of you know, bolt from the blue and it's, it's kind of a bit of a lightning strike. And suddenly the sector is down. Um Having said that, again, um, it presents opportunity. There are some incredibly well-run institutions um, with uh, fantastic liquidity, very limited or no uh, deposit beta risk. Of mm. talking about this new this new world of deposit flight, um, and if you can pick up those securities, um, you're going to get paid now. You know, 10 to 12 percent uh, per annum. Uh, and that's up from sort of six to eight, you know, a year ago. And that's a great number.
0: Sure. You mentioned that you'd avoided Credit Suisse, you know, sort of um, promoting your active approach. Um, why did you avoid them?
1: Well, it's a good question. I, I think there's, there's my, my, my sort of central view is this, that we're, we're in a systemic risk portfolio. What I mean by that is that uh, the, the, the whole sector uh, moves as one, it, that there is contagion risk. You know, banks are inherently risky, and um, anytime you see noise, what I call noise or just you know lack of clarity or just events going on that you're not quite sure about, there is not that much need to own that name unless you're getting paid an extraordinarily high return, which wasn't the case in Credit Suisse, COCOs or other parts of the capital structure. Um, I mean, the yields were certainly higher, but they weren't that much higher. Hmm. that you risked underperforming a lot if you, if you didn't own it. And so uh, we did have a, uh, a couple of discussions earlier in the year about the opportunity. And and as a group, we said, look, if we have a year or two years where you don't hear from credit Suisse in terms of regulatory uh, risks or, or business risks... And don't no you get, no news is good, of, news, good news in this yeah, case. No, yeah, they, they, they seem to... Uh, managed to attach themselves to most of the negative events over the past pretty much two or three years in terms of you know going to a bit archegos and um and other things it it was just literally you could just sense that the the lack of controls and lack of um uh uh, discernment of the business they were doing yeah was going to cause them a problem and it wasn't a forecast around um being taken over and kind of insolvent, but the point was you didn't need to own that. And, well, and, and so, what, but what's happened now, which is nice, is that the differentiation between names has gone up a lot. So what we call dispersion of yields or, or opportunity is now much more differentiated, which is, which is a good yeah. thing, I think.
0: Are there any other banks that you feel the same way? For for example, I don't know if Deutsche Bank issues a a
1: cocoa, but
0: but are they in
1: the same yeah. same league? Yeah, they've got a number of issues, and we were very close to picking up some Deutsche paper post-credit squeeze, and, and Deutsche did come in for some some sort of very uh, singular market price action, put it that way, you know, the, the Cocos and other parts of the capital structure of Deutsche got very heavily sold off. Um, we, we, we didn't buy that, and others have done that, and it's recovered very well, and, mm. and they've done very well out of that. I think Deutsche had most of its problems. Um, you know, three or four years ago, they've been through their tough times and um, they are much more stable. But again, um, that's a name which I think, you know, don't forget our funds are long only, right? So we only yeah. have the ability to own the securities or, or not. And so we can't uh, buy derivatives. We don't buy hedges. Uh, we can't short the equity or do other things. So, again, I think if you have uh, more tools available in a particular fund or strategy, nothing wrong with owning Deutsche Cocos either outright or, or you know, long one, short the other. Um, that's all fine. Um, I, I did want to say there are, there are uh, opportunities that have come up. And I just want to mention a yep. couple of names. Uh, you know, uh, people have got different views on things, but um, Investec is a name that we've been very happy with for a long time. Um, now that's because they've been uh, very, very liquid and with a lot of surplus capital um, and they've, just announced, as you might have seen this week, that they're uh, selling the wealth business into sure Rathbones and, and taking an equity stake from that. I mean, um, how much difference does that make in in, in this asset class? Um, I, I mean, in terms of that specific transaction, you know, not that much. It probably uh, de-risks the whole thing a little bit and, and adds well, add some other risk in some ways and, and takes some risk in yep. some ways. But I think it just kind of exemplifies the fact that they are a very... Um, you know, liquid sort of conservatively run business, and that's good for a cocoa holder. Um, And then another sort of slightly um, smaller, you know, niche strategy, but again, an interesting name is Irish permanent. So they've got a euro issue. And again, if you look at the Irish economy, it's got a budget surplus, they're making very good revenues. Um, The uh, the economy is much more balanced. Hmm. Uh, the banks are you know kind of uh, an oligopoly with with sort of three or four large players, very stable economy and um and and that that instrument is paying you know close to fifteen percent in sterling if okay. you do the currency adjustment. um and that's a very um very attractive return for what is a a double b security and i mean a I mean that's
0: with the currency adjustment without without the currency adjustment, what are you looking at?
1: Uh look at about thirteen percent. Okay. Thirteen, thirteen and a half. So you Pretty get about hundred and fifty bips or so pick up from Euros into sterling. But um
0: yeah. yeah. Um is there a bit of a liquidity issue with a with a, a smaller bank like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean that that's one of the premiums you're getting paid. So again, I think if you're in a in a modest size fund um with some flex, uh that's only a, it's only really a three or four percent position, but um somebody you can hold um, you know, with a very high degree of certainty that you're not going to get an event risk like a Credit squeeze. It's a fairly boring company in, in a good way. Again, you know, boring is positive in this world. And, um, you know, we uh, we like that sort of carry and it's, it's a great management team. So, yeah, um, not something you'd own too much of, but if you've got a, um, you know, 5 or 10 million euro position, that's easily tradable and something that we, we think is very manageable.
0: Sure, good stuff. Um, I want to take a, a bit of a, a step back. I mean, why... Do you fundamentally invest into these products within your hybrid capital bond fund? I notice that the fund can allocate up to thirty percent of assets into COCOs.
1: Yeah, look, I think when we when I, when I set the fund up in um, two thousand and sixteen, um, it was on the back of retail demand. So a, a couple of points here. One is that in the UK at least, um, unless you're a professional investor or you, or you sign professional investor forms. Um, you are not eligible to to own Cocos directly, so you need to do it via a fund format. Um, so that was one one piece. Um, the second thing is, if you talk to many private clients, um, they like the sector. If you say I'm going to have um, exposure to um, you know Aviva, Legal and General, Lloyd's, Barclays, etc., um, they're names that people like. And as, as we've discussed at other times, uh, accessing the bond market. In any part of, of, of the capital structure in the UK is a challenge on a direct basis, and so um, so having the ability to own the most junior notes of um, some of the safest businesses in the UK that people like that is something that people like in a fund. Um, I set the 30% limit because I thought, well, if you go to 50 or more, then then cocoa would really dominate the fund. So so I think the and if you're at 10. It's kind of just not enough to really make that much of a difference. So I think 30 is a nice sort of number. We tend to sit around a quarter of the fund on 25% in Cocos, which gives you a kicker. Uh, it means that you don't have to own the whole market, you know, a la Credit Suisse. But if I can own, um, I mentioned, you know, Investec, Irish Permanent are sort of different names. And then you've got your, you know, the sort of mainstream names, Lloyds, Barclays, Legal & General, Aviva. You know, these, these are great places to be. Um, and it's a nice um and a nice mix and and, and then on the, on the other side of that discussion is the fact that uh, we're not just a cocoa fund and yes. i think that's a very important difference so uh, there are tier two and tier three securities there are preference shares that we own um and um, again they've got some really interesting features most notably that they are cumulative and actually must pay uh, unlike cocoa's so preference shares are uh, I mean, there aren't many around anymore because they've been bought back and they will actually, most of them fall out of the, the capital structure regulations at the yep. end of 25. But if you look at uh, PREFs from you know, Viva, RSA, et cetera, um, to have those as as cumulative must-pay securities means that you are going to get paid. Um, and um, again, that's a little bit of more protection, ironically, uh, than a COCO. So, so PREFs and shares, COCOs, Tier 2, it's a nice blend, and that's why um, you know we've we've been able to you know we're in a nicely positive return year to date. Sure. Uh, despite being in a fund with a cocoa exposure, where the index is down thirteen.
0: Uh, no, you so say positive return year to date, but you you still will have been hit a little bit by your cocoa exposure because because of the nature of the market uh, in in the re- in recent weeks. When we sp- spoke uh, recently, you said that you'd upped your exposure from twenty five percent to. 28% on a, on back of a buying opportunity um you know why did you take that that decision at that time
1: yeah because i think the um I w- I, it, it was a balanced uh, sort of thought process but um the uh the increase was because i felt the contagion that was kind of being discussed around the sort of global banking system was unlikely to actually materialize and and that's proven to be the case and so you really had a situation where yeah, Credit Suisse had, had fallen over. Uh, Deutsche was uh, in the crosshairs, and that was selling off. You have this U.S. Um, bank deposit beta and sort of flight to quality into money market funds, and that's not over, by the way. But it all seems to be fairly manageable. And at the time, you had sort of distressed prices for for names that were not really affected. And by that, I mean the insurers. And so we picked up uh, you know, paper from the likes of Rothsay a pension corporation. And these are um, just very different businesses. I mean, they have a completely different risk profile in their asset base and their structure and the way their liquidity works. And so the RT1 space, which is the uh, restricted tier one, that's the insurance equivalent of AT1. Sure. Um, that's a super place to be. And um, yeah, that, that was where we spent our, our money.
0: Excellent. Well, Peter, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, pleasure. Really good. And uh, yeah, catch up again soon. Thank you.